Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Sometimes I wonder if Willow has a will, if some trees are just more aware than others, more determined to shine. It's as if some clefts want to be made, need a particular player to carry them out onto a cricket field, as if they have a way of finding their perfect match. Even people who really live and love the game, cricket nuffies, don't realise it's White Willow that has enchanted them. Of the tens of thousands playing, only a few have what it takes to make it at the top level. Add to that the element of luck, selection, injury, conditions, team composition, the umpiring decisions that can make the difference between scoring zero and 100, finding form and losing it. It's a bloody casino, Nate used to say. Only the crazy and the brave would embark on a journey so unlikely to succeed. Better to play for the love of the game than ambition, because disappointment is guaranteed in cricket, as it is in life. Or for the team to be part of something larger. I wipe my cheeks. Nothing gets me emotional, quite like our great game. The sun drops below the tree line. A tangle of old casuarinas at the end of the lane, casting a pinkish glow over the rough cut ends. One in particular lights up its furred surface swollen with warmth from the first harvest from my original plantation out at Shepherd's Flat. When I lift it from the rack to feel its weight, the hair on my forearms prickles. For a moment, the timber appears blue again and butterflies start up in my belly. This is the one. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Inga Simpson is the author of four works of fiction, including Mr. Week, Nest, where the trees were, and the last woman in the world. Inga spent a decade living inside a Queensland forest, and her memoir of that experience, Understory, was published in 2017. Her first book for children, The Book of Australian Trees, was published in 2021. Today, I'm talking to Inga about her new book, Willow Man. Inga, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Hi, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Your catalogue of books reveal an interest in the natural world, and trees in particular, but in the case of Willow Man, that focus has become much more specific. One particular species, Salix alba carilia, white willow. What is it about this tree and the timber it produces that fuel this story? That's the number one question. Thank you. The timber has kind of magical qualities, uh, which I'll come back to. But yeah, I, I read about, probably about 10 years ago, I read that nearly you know, all of the elite cricket bats in the world are made from this one species of tree, which just seems remarkable. And willow has been used in all sorts of ways for hundreds of years. And I guess what is magical about the timber is that it starts out as softwood and ends up, you know, in a cricket bat's case um, with the compression of, of the face of the bat as a hardwood, which just seemed like a kind of magical transformation to me when I first read about the craft of bat making. The timber grows very fast. It has all these uh, tubes that move water up through the tree. And it's, yeah, that's what makes the bat light, you know, easy to wield. But then by compressing the face, um, one of the bat makers sort of skills. And then if you shape it just the right way, you know, have that kind of sweet spot, as they call it, in just the right place for the right player, well, then a player can 
do a bit of magic too with a cricket ball, hitting it around the field. Yeah, so reading about the species and how specific it was and, um, yeah, the traditional craft of bat making drew me in. Uh, so, yeah, it was almost, it was 10 years ago that I thought, oh, I'd like to like to write about that somehow, write about, about cricket and the traditional art of, of bat making. One of the central characters, Alan Reader, the craftsman behind Reader Cricket Bats, is a man dedicated to the craft, perhaps even obsessed with the craft. Cricket itself has often been thought of a religion. Does Alan Reader's obsession elevate the cricket bat to the status of deity? <laughs> deity? Wow. Yeah, I think his obsession, but also his skill, you know, um, in choosing the clefts. This one came from his own willow grove grown in Australia, which, you know, is is happening, but it's um, early, early days for that. The English have overtly uh, kept us from growing our own willow. And it does grow differently here. But, yeah, so Alan has grown his own willow and selected this particular cleft and put it aside, you know, recognised it as special. And that's his experience, his expertise coming through. And then, you know, with a particular player, Harrow, in mind, he he chooses the cleft and then shapes it to, to suit that batter in particular. So, yeah, I think it does have mythic qualities. Yeah. And certainly Harrow comes to believe that it does, so... Maybe that's all that matters. We'll talk about Harrow in a minute, the other central character in this book. Um, but Alan Reader has another interest. He's a student of the oboe. So what's the material connection or the connection between the bat and the oboe? When you play the oboe, the, there's a reed between the, the musician's lips and the instrument. And that reed is from um, made from cane and it's sort of cut and spliced in a very particular and almost microscopic way I was sort of halfway through writing the book and a friend um, who used to play the oboe described that process for me and I just thought aha you know I have Alan's instrument and I have the link between the music world and, and the cricket world. Alan started out as a musician um, and very talented and started crafting his own reeds um, which did lead to cricket bat making although he actually comes from a long line of cricket bat makers. So the tradition was in his blood, perhaps, yeah. And, of course, there's another connection between the two, uh, and that's in the sound. Both the bat and the oboe produce a sound, and that sound reflects the quality both of the materials and the player. That's what I love about it, really, when all those little connections and parallels and links start coming together, you know, and, and start to shape, shape the story. So, yeah, absolutely, the sound of, um, and I think, you know, Alan uses musical language and he, when he describes cricket and, and the bat-making process. And, yeah, when a leather ball strikes a well-made bat in the right spot, yeah, the, the sound is the right note. It's, it's a matter of striking the right note in both cases. And we get deeper into Alan's music in the book. You know, I try and draw out those parallels um, between batting, bat-making and, and music and yeah, the kind of magic that, that can happen when you devote yourself to a craft, I guess. Your other central character, Harrow, a talented, aspiring young cricketer. Harrow seems to be undergoing a, a kind of rite of passage that tests him in various ways. What's being tested in Harrow? This is one of the things I was most interested in writing the book. And there are parallels here with writing and, you know, all of the art. So I guess I was trying to show that the batting is an art just like music is and just like bat making is. 
we're born with a certain amount of natural talent. You know, some people are just born with natural hand-eye coordination that lead us to particular sports or professions, but then it's what you do with it, how you're coached, how you respond to coaching, how you respond to pressure on game day, that sort of thing. So as Harrow rises up through the ranks, you know, every time he moves up a level, well, then the stakes are upped. Um, his opposition is more skilled, and particularly when you're pushed up through the grades quite young, you're playing against grown men, a boy playing against grown men. So his skills are being tested, but also his mental toughness, his physical toughness, and his desire to, to go on, to get to the top, to perform under such high-pressure situations, to persevere. The piece I read compares cricket to life. You know, it has its ups and downs. You know, I heard Alex Blackwell, the former women's captain, on conversations recently, you can score 100 one day and zero the next, you know, back back to square one. It's kind of a humbling game. So to bounce back after failure, that resilience is something that Harrow has to find within himself. And this book is very much about that mental challenge and all the emotions that come with it. There's fear of facing the fastball, elation when the century scored, confidence, success, anticipation, failure, fame, and the distractions that come with it, and they're considerable. But also this act of concentration, this moment and this ability to live within the moment, which is what a cricketer has to do. And that's what I came to identify most with. Um, batting, you know, facing ball after ball and each one slightly different and then from different bowlers and um, different conditions must require so much concentration, you know, to score 100. Because, yeah, one mistake, one little lapse of concentration and you, you probably get out. For a, a young man who, you know, doesn't even finish school, you know, where does that come from, that ability to just concentrate on ball after ball and to shut out? oh, am I going to score 100? Am I going to get out? Are we going to win? And the crowd yelling, whatever. Your family might be there watching you, shutting all that out just to break it down to one ball at a time. Did you have a particular cricketer in mind when you were forming or shaping the character of Harrow? That's a great question, actually. Yes, initially it was Phil Hughes, former Australian opener who died very young, trying to get back into the Australian team, you know, struck on the back of the head. So when he died, that really pushed along my idea for the book and so yeah initially him you know sort of very small opening batter very naturally gifted but then you know it was so long in the writing process that other players came to my attention as well more recently Will Bukowski the young opener who keeps getting hit on the head so there's this kind of phenomenon where a new player comes into the team and the kind of public you know and everyone the cricket following public but the broader public as well, have this interest in, you know, we really want them to succeed. Oh, this guy's the answer. You know, he's a genius. He's brilliant. We invest so much in this new player that everyone's talking about when they come into the team. So I saw that all over again with Will Bukowski. And then, you know, the disappointment. Oh, he's, he's injured again or he's out. And in the end, Harrow was every player, every player I've watched over the years. But whenever I struggled, I would think of, Phil Hughes, and some of the anecdotes within the story or some of the details within the story come directly from Philip Hughes's life and, and playing career. And There are a couple of lines that are very close to things he actually said. And Willow Man's not just a story about the men of the game. There's also a big story about the women of the game and the women involved in the relationships through this book. Yeah, the women uh, in the novel are equally important, I think, and, and perhaps 
become more so as the story unfolds. Alan Reader's daughter, Katie, comes back to live with him. And, you know, there's a lovely story there of them supporting each other that I really enjoyed writing, I have to say. And Todd Harrow has a sister, Liv, who's just as talented, though she's in his shadow for a time. And their relationship was really lovely too. I don't have siblings myself, but I really enjoyed their kind of uh, repartee um, and the way they relate to each other through the game. You know, it's been their whole life. There's some lovely scenes as they're growing up with the game of cricket and this, I guess, this backyard oval that's created uh, in order to facilitate that growth. Yeah, they have a kind of, kind of mythic home ground on their sort of dairy up on the Sunshine Coast that their, their father made for them. So, you know, and um, Harrow's parents are very important too. I often think that, that no player really succeeds without very supportive parents. So it's the relationships in the book, I think, that make the story, make it relatable to anyone, you know, whether they are into cricket or not. Willow Man's also an exploration of the inner lives of things, of cricket bats and the players, and, and to a certain extent those can't be separated. One is an extension of the other. And like you said, cricket is a, a bit of a metaphor for life. What's the game of cricket to you? Is it simply a bat and ball or is it representative of something greater? Does it carry a deeper meaning? Yeah, I think it does carry a deeper meaning, which I spent the whole writing process for the book trying to express perhaps, you know, why I love the game, to verbalise, to express what it is that I love so much. Yes, it's a game, but it's much more than that. It's the whole team. It's the whole history of the game. You know, there's a tradition involved. Even the rules, as arcane as some of them are, they're very slow to change. So there's a very long history to each of the rules to the way it's played. Each country has a style. For a lot of people, it does say something about who we are as Australians. You know, it's a way of expressing that or supporting that or observing it. Part of our national identity in some way. Yeah, our national identity, our national consciousness. I think it is part of our national consciousness, whether people are aware of it or not. The success or otherwise of a team, of a player, says something about us as people, as a nation. And the rules are very complex, so there's a lot to it. It's intellectually engaging. A lot of writers, actually, are real cricket fans, female poets, or people you wouldn't expect to really enjoy the intricacies of the game. For me, it's about the players, sort of their personal stories. That's what gets me emotional to watch someone really shine or um, outdo expectations even in a particular match scenario. You know, there are these heroic moments. Um, which perhaps we look for, I don't know, in, in war or settings like that um, or, you know, colonial frontier settings we used to, to look to, um, but we see those differently now. So I, I think sport is the sort of last remaining place where we, we look for that heroism to act out the heroism, you know, we, we all like to think we, we have inside of us. Um, it's a way to see that in action, you know, and it's live. It's, it's a story. It's a narrative. But it's, it's live sport. It's completely unpredictable. So, you know, you kind of watch not knowing what's going to happen. You know, there's a format, but anything could happen, you know, and every now and then there's some really heroic, you know, someone saving a game, or someone's amazing catch or someone you never heard of scoring a century on debut or something like that. There's uplifting moments that you can get from fiction, but this is different. This is happening live 
before us. And, you know, the more you invest in, in learning about the game and the players and so on, you know, the more it means to you. The rise of women's cricket, you know, is amazing and, and more and more Indigenous players in the team and cricket going from this really white, male, straight sport to being much more diverse. So, you know, again, that's it's lagging behind society, but it does reflect our society. Willowman is set in this new era, a new era of cricket, which is the T20 format. Does this format remove or compromise some of the philosophical or the traditional elements of the game that might be associated with longer forms of the game? Yeah, that's a good question too. I set I set the novel at, at this time particularly. Uh, I think it was an interesting time for cricket. It looked like it might spell the end of traditional bat making. So that was one of the reasons why I said it at this time when there's sort of greater attention to the art of bat making and, you know, suddenly there are always mass produced big bats for hitting big sixes in T20 and there was a lot of talk about, oh, it's going to be the end of the game, the end of tradition and so on. And T20 has, has changed the game, no doubt, but good for women's cricket, which was another reason why I was interested in it. You know, T20 brought the women's game into the public eye so that, you know, that was a, has been a real positive. And, you know, a whole lot more games and competitions played before audiences and, and big audiences than ever before. So that's been a real plus. T20 has a different audience than Test Cricket does. You know, I watch T20 when Australia's playing, but for me, it's still Test Cricket that engages me fully, that represents that tradition of the game. As I read Willow Man, two perhaps conflicting thoughts occurred to me. On one hand, there is this warmth of your storytelling and the affection you have for your characters, the players, but also a sense of decay, a sense that everything and everyone has a lifespan. There's a beautiful phrase, every bat is dying from the day it's made. Across all these sub-themes, is there an overarching philosophical view here, intentional or otherwise? Yes, probably unintentional. And I mean, a lot of that, I think that's from Alan's point of view and in the early part of the novel he's he's quite down you know he's going through a a separation and um you know in those sort of times we do tend to feel mortal and that the best years might be behind us or whatever so part of the novel is exploring second chances or second leases of life you know that that's um one theme that was probably partly conscious or that you know I've certainly noticed while editing it I guess the fragility of life and maybe with Philip Hughes's death in mind, I mean, that is kind of a shadow or a, a backdrop to the novel that did change cricket. I mean, who knew someone could die playing cricket? Everyone kept saying, oh, he'll, you know, you'll play 100 tests, you'll play 100 tests. Well, he didn't. He died. He didn't get to play. And, and some players never get back in. There is something there I've been trying to unpick about the fragility of life you know, and living in the moment. And we're in this cycle of fires and plague and floods, I guess, writing in that context too, or sort of finalising the book, you know, trying to be more grateful for each day, for each moment, live in those moments and, and be happy for the, the gifts and the opportunities that, that come my way. And so maybe I'm looking at cricket under that lens. A player's career is so short, you know, it's in, intriguing to me. How do they how do they get up the day after they retire? You know, it must be hard to forge a new life after that. So how do they pour everything into their career knowing it could be over in a moment, you know? So I, th- I think there's something to learn there about how we live our lives from how players play the game and something to respect too about the pressures they live under. Inga, as always, great to talk to you and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. 
Oh, no, thank you, Greg. Yeah, lovely conversation. I've been talking to Inga Simpson about her new book, Willow Man. It's published by Hachette, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.